Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Second uh, Timothy chapter 3, if you will. Um, I'm going to continue in this vein of distinct, being distinct. And um, just really, you know, this series has been an, an, an easy series to put together in the sense that being distinct doesn't really take that much work today. Being set apart, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's pretty easy to stand out uh, if you honor God's word and, and you honor what he's called us to do and honor the mission of, of the kingdom of God. Um, and it, it's not by intentionality, it's because the way that the world is going, uh, I'll reiterate the fact that when you stay grounded, you stay immovable on something, you become set apart. You will become distinct. Remember, we said this, that the opposite of being distinct is blending in. So your only option for standing out is to become a part of. Amen. And so uh, we know that we are called to be set apart. Jesus prayed uh, in John chapter 17. He prayed that you and I would be sanctified or set apart by the word. And his word is truth. He said that I'm not praying that you remove them or take them out of the world. I'm praying that you guard their heart. In, In a moment where Jesus could have prayed that He remove us. He separate us. Remember this, being distinct doesn't mean being distanced. Being distinct doesn't mean I have to remove myself from the environment. It means that I change the environment by actually being in it. Do not be conformed to the world. Be transformed by the renewing of my mind. That way, when I get in the world, I can change what's around me. Amen? And so you and I are transformative agents for the kingdom of God in every sphere of influence, in every place you contact, in every person you contact. We should be transforming, changing, aligning our environments with heaven. Amen? That's why you and I exist. And so today I want to, um, we've looked at so many different topics. We've talked about being distinct by the word, being distinct by power, how just operating in the power of God will set us apart. Uh, A couple weeks ago, we looked at being distinct by our love walk. Amen. Learning how to love, uh, walk in love and love people as God loves people, that will set you apart. Amen. Because love is on trial today. I mean, people don't even know what love is. This idea of tolerance and acceptance and uh, just whatever you feel Uh, pleases you and gratifies you, is accepted, that's not love. Amen? Uh, And we made the statement, you know, if if God loved us uh, the way that, uh, or if if earthly fathers love their kids the way that we think God should love us, many of us would be, uh, have our children removed from our custody. Amen? And uh, God is not having any of his children removed from his custody. He knows how to take care of his kids. He knows how to encourage. He knows how to correct. Amen. And we, we have to be able to challenge uh, the, the ways that people want to create a God that's just loving and accepting and allowing of everything. We've got to be able to challenge that concept. So we looked at that a couple of weeks ago. But today I want to talk about being distinct by truth. 
being distinct by truth. And in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, we got it in the uh, New Living. I've got the whole, almost the whole chapter that I want to look at here, so I'm, I'm pulling it up here. Uh, and in the New Living, verse 1 says this, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days, everyone say the last days. How many of y'all believe we're in those last days? We're in the end of the end, right? Uh, in the last days, there will be very difficult times. How many of y'all have that on your refrigerator? That's not one of those verses you put on a bumper sticker, right? Uh, in the last days, there will be very difficult times. Why? For people will be uh, lovers or love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. They are the kind who work their way into people's homes and win the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened with the guilt of sin and controlled by various desires. Verse 8 says, these teachers oppose the truth. Everyone say oppose. Oppose the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, they have depraved minds and a counterfeit faith. But they won't get away for this, get away with this for long. Someday everyone will recognize what fools they are, just as with Janus and Jambres. It's it's interesting here that out of all the things that he mentions, the reckless living, lovers of selves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, at the end of the day, he says this. It can all be summed up this way. They oppose truth. They oppose truth. If you go into, um, or go further down actually, go further down here. Uh, let's look at verse, um, verse 13. Jump down to verse 13. But evil people and imposters will flourish. They will deceive others and will themselves be deceived. I wish that I could tell you that this chapter, what I just read, was talking about people in the world. <laughs> Sinners. Unbelievers. But the context of this passage is that this kind of deception is taking place in the house of God. This level of deception, um, these imposters, right? They're not imposters if they're living in the world and have no care for God. The, the fact that they're imposters, what makes them deceptive is that they look Christian. They look like believers. They look like what we would call church, yet are the furthest thing from it. He even made this statement, as we just read earlier in verse 5, that they will act religious, these will be some of the most religious-looking people. 
that are boastful and proud, disobedient to parents, lovers of money, lovers of self, um, uh, denying the power. Amen? They're imposters. He says that there's a counterfeit faith. There's a level of deception that we must be on alert for in these last days. In chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4, um, let's just start with verse 1. I solemnly urge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom. Preach the word. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. That tells us that there will be a time when truth will not be readily received. This lets us know that there will be a time where people will desire to alter truth. People will desire to change and uh, introduce new truths, introduce new ways um, to preach the same message you and I are preaching. So he's telling Timothy, preach the word, be prepared, whether the time is favorable or not, whether it's readily received or not, whether they are desiring or not, whether they want to hear it or not. You know, the New King James reads, preach the word, be in season and out of season. You know, a lot of us ministers, we like that passage because that tells us that, you know, we need to be ready to preach at any moment, at any time. And that's a great thought, but that's not the principle that's being understood here. The principle is when you preach, you have to stick to truth regardless of what the people want to hear. That's the premise. That's the principle he's trying to get across. This is why in verse 3, for a time is coming. When people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. It says that they will follow their own desires. That's called hearing what you want to hear. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. They will reject the truth. Now, I'll be honest. We live in a day and age where we have more accessibility, more availability, more readiness of Scripture than ever before. Obviously, we have the word of God in this time frame, they didn't even have Bibles that they're literally referring to. Paul's literally writing a letter to Timothy that's to be distributed to the churches. That's how he's communicating and leading these churches along with the apostles and the disciples and the breaking of bread in homes and, and, and the gathering together and remaining under their teachings. They, they, are, uh, they, they are staying near and adhering to the word as best as possible. But today, we've got the ease of access, right? We, we've got podcasts, we've got teachers, we've got YouTube, we've got, uh, you know, churches on every corner, Bibles in every hand, books that are being written, commentaries, uh, and then interpretations. We've got versions of the Bible, 
multiple versions, multiple interpretations, multiple, I'm reading from one today. And what we have to understand is this ease of access, even though it allows the gospel to go forth, it allows the gospel to uh, uh, be presented in such a large scale, larger than ever before, there is a risk involved. The risk is contamination. The risk is that, and, and what I love about this is God knows that this risk is possible, yet still encourages the distribution of his word. Yet still leaves the word to you and I to interpret and then communicate and distribute as we do. But the risk is, is that over time, it's not only that the, the speaker can get off, it's that the hearer can get off. Both of these chapters, chapter 3 and chapter 4, Paul is admonishing Timothy to stay with the word. Preach the word. Don't deviate. Don't veer off. Don't introduce and don't water down. Remember what Paul said in Acts chapter 20? I thank God that I never shrunk back from giving you the full counsel of the word of God. I didn't deviate. I didn't diminish. I didn't contaminate. I didn't devalue. I didn't water down the word of God so that it would be more easily received. Now, we have come up with some amazing and even creative ways of communicating the word. But the, 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 the sense is that we cannot lose the value for truth. The sense is, is that in our communication of the word, we don't get to water down what God is saying in his word, what God is holding valuable. There's an interesting thing that is creeping in is that it's almost as if where culture goes, so does Christianity. So what culture begins to accept, there is this never-ending pressure for the church to accept. And I don't believe that Christians, believers, and the church should be following the same path that culture's following. And so what happens then is if we're not following culture, we become counter-cultural, distinct, set apart. And for you, I mean, it, it, it's, it's no doubt truth is on trial. I mean, even without being a believer, there are morals that are being, uh, you know, there, there are moral lines being crossed over. Ethical lines being crossed over. We know this. I, I don't need to get on a rant. I don't need to, to, to get, you know, political. I don't need to talk about all the things that are happening in the world. You know exactly what I'm talking about. But the church is the pillar and support of truth. The church is the pillar and support of truth. We set the standard. And so if we find ourselves on every tangent and on every bend and veering off and chasing this and chasing that, as Paul is saying, you're going to end up in deception. I'll go even further. You'll end up in delusion. <laughs> you, you'll end up with absolutely 
delusional thinking. And this is what he's telling us. People don't run away from truth. They fall away from truth. Meaning that it's, it's little by little we chip away at truth. Little by little we accept a substandard. Little by little we begin to allow things to creep in our lives that become more important than the truth of God's word. We begin to prioritize things as opinions. We begin to prioritize things such as popularity. What does the majority say? We begin to um, accept truths. I've, I've said this from the pulpit. My pastor has said it from the pulpit many times. You cannot just believe something just because I'm saying it. I think it was a few weeks ago, uh, you know, I, 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 maybe it was a little harsh, but I, I was trying to help you understand, trying to stress the importance that we must be studiers of the word, readers of the word, disciplined in the word of God. And that doesn't mean that Sunday morning in, in the time that I'm giving you accounts as being in the word of God. You need to be in the word of God every day. This needs to be your foundation. This needs to be what you're grounded upon. You should be so much in the word that I am confirming what the word is showing you, not setting a standard for what you should be saying. Because when you get to heaven, you're not going to be able to say, well, Pastor Mark said, I go even one further. When you are facing a trial or a challenge and the devil is looking to you face to face, you're not going to be able to say, well, because Pastor Mark said, by his stripes I'm healed. Uh, we know a story in the book of Acts with seven guys that tried to pull that. In the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, well, they got beat up and sent out, didn't they? No, you're going to be victorious in life because you know the word. You're going to be victorious in life because the word is your foundation. You're going to be victorious in life because this is your daily bread, not my daily bread that I'm telling you to eat, but you have found yourself so ingrained in it that this is my source of life. God speaking is how you live. Because man does not live by every bread, by, by every word, by bread alone, but by every word. That proceeds from the mouth of God. If he stops talking, we stop living. His words sustain us. Amen. So he says that there will be a time, I think we're there now, where people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires. So he lets us know that if we aren't grounded in the word, we become susceptible to what we want. Our wants should never take priority over his word. I'm, there's plenty of times where I've been going through something or been challenged with something or come up against something. And I have uh, had to hear a word that I didn't want to hear. Ever been there? whether it be a trial, whether it be sin, whether it be a, a, a confrontation in your life of something that needs to be addressed, needs to be tweaked, needs to be confronted. 
But I, I tell you, man, there's been times where I've been, uh, you know, maybe depressed. And the last thing I want to hear is an encouraging word, right? You want to get around other depressed people. You want people to sympathize with you. You want people to pat you on the back and just tell you, you know, this is just life and it's just a difficult place. And, you know, this, you know, you, sometimes you just want to vent and you want people to vent with you. Right? There's plenty of times we find ourselves in these situations where we don't endure the doctrine of the word anymore because there's something else that our soul wants to hear. Our soul wants to receive. And those are the times when we have to crucify that and we have to say, no, it's the truth of the word that's going to set me free. You notice the, the Bible says salvation doesn't set you free. You ever notice that? It says the truth will set you free. There's a lot of saved people that are no longer acknowledging truth. They're just as bound as lost people. They're just as bound as the world. So we've got to find ourselves what? Staying with truth. They will no longer endure sound uh, and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears. So that tells us two things. Number one, there will be times where we have itching ears. What that means is I don't want to hear what I've heard. I want to hear something new. I've got, always got to have my fancy tickled. I've always got to have a new doctrine, a new... And, and man, we, we are in ways... I, I want to be creative. I want to be, um, as, a, as, a, as a speaker, as a minister, I want to speak well. I want to teach well. I want to preach in a way that it can be received. It does no good if I'm preaching and it's over your head. It does no good if I'm preaching and you're not able to comprehend, not able to uh, receive it, and not able to apply it. That does no good. But I've got to be careful that I'm not always trying to come up with something new to appease your soul and appease your flesh and give you something that feels like you're cutting edge, feels like, you have, man, I've heard something I've never heard before. You know what? Sometimes you need to hear what you've heard before. I don't know how many, in the Bible, through Peter, through Paul, even Jesus himself, they would say things like, I'm reminding you. By way of reminder, I want to remind you. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would come and he would remind us of things Jesus said. You don't always need a new word, a new, a, a, a new point, a new sermon. And if we start chasing that, we're going to find ourselves in deception. We're going to find ourselves compromising truth for the sake of giving something someone they've never heard before. Man, if I come up here and give you the same verses that you've heard over and over and over, you ought to be on the edge of your seat, ready to receive, ready to pull, ready to draw. Not, oh, he's going there again. Oh, we're ministering on that again. Oh, he's going on that tangent again. Man, we got to be careful with that. The second thing that this tells us is that there will be teachers. 
I just, you know, when when I saw that, it just blew my mind. The fact that in the last days, we're not going to have a shortage of teachers. We're going to have a surplus. And like overkill. Too much. the, The New King James says they will heap up for themselves. Oh, we got some heaping taking place today. I'm not going to tell you who to listen to and who to not listen to. But I am going to tell you, you've got to be careful and make sure you're judging everything by the word and not just by their popularity, not just by how many likes they get, not just by what the majority thinks about this person, not by how they dress, not by how big their church is, not by how full their church is. Come on, I I think that we are judging a lot of ministers and pastors and teachers by the wrong measurements. This is not a popularity contest. This is not trying to get up here and and, and be, uh, you know, relevant and, uh, you know, relatable. This is about, am I giving you the truth of the word of God or not? That's That's the bottom line. And you will find plenty of teachers, according to the word of God, that will scratch the itch for you. That's what the Bible says, that there will be plenty of those. I've learned, especially in the last couple years, to thin my circle, to be careful of who has a voice into my life, who am I listening to. And you know what? God's been so good because when I've had to cut some off, when I've had to eliminate some, he has brought others along my path that are speaking truth, that are speaking in line with the word, that are not compromising the the message or the mission. And, and And they continue to encourage me. They continue to build me. They continue to speak into my life. God's good that way. But I don't want anything in my life that doesn't need to be there. And I want everything in my life that does need to be there. Amen? In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus speaks along these lines as well. Matthew chapter 24, and beginning with verse 4, Jesus told them, Don't let anyone mislead you. So right there off the top, he's letting us know, there will be opportunities to be misled. There will be opportunities to be deceived. There will be opportunities uh, that someone will bring something that might sound like truth, but is not truth. Might sound good, but it's not God. He says, don't let anyone mislead you. And then in verse 5 says, for many, not just a few, He lets us know, many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. But all of this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. Then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers, and many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. I'm pulling out all the good verses today. If this is not an encouragement to you, man. At verse 11, 
and many false prophets will appear and will deceive many. Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold. The same thing that we're hearing Paul uh, admonish and encourage Timothy with uh, over in 2 Timothy uh, 3 and 4 is what Jesus is mentioning, that in the last days, there's this great falling away. In the last days, deception will be on the rise. In the last days, there will be many that will try to present truth, but it's embedded in a lie. There will be many that will uh, sound good and sound like it's, uh, uh, you know, uh, doctrinal and theological and, and, and all the, the different, you know, terminologies that we want to give credibility to. But at the end of the day, it's a falling away from the faith, a falling away from the truth. Let me give you one more, and then I'll give you the encouraging stuff. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness, here it is, suppress the truth. Truth is on trial. Truth is on trial. God's truth is on trial. I want to give us some clarity on how we can avoid being led away into deception. Since what can be known about God is evident among them, because God has shown it to them. For in his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world. Clearly seen, it says. Being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. He's saying deception's going to run rampant. Delusion's going to increase. But they're not going to be with excuse. They will be without excuse to fall into deception. There's not going to be, I know, it it was kind of tricky. I know it wasn't right. He's letting them know. God's nature, God's creation, the truth is easy to see if you want to see it. The truth is easy to find if you want to find it. But it's all about what you're chasing. It's all about what you're looking for. It's all about what you're longing for. If you want to appeal to your senses, if you want to appeal to your emotions, if you want to appeal to your intellect, if you want to appeal to to your soul, if you want to appeal to your experiences, then you're going to find yourself down a road of deception. But if you're willing to accept truth and believe truth against all odds, against what's accepted by majority, against what's accepted by experience, against what can be explained. Many times people void truth in their lives because they need an explanation for everything. We've built entire denominations and belief systems within Christianity because we can't explain a supernatural thing. Well, it's supernatural. I thank God that there are things that he does that can't be explained. I mean, if you want to live on that that path, 
I mean, just, just understand the universe. Just understand space. Just understand, you know, how we're all made up of molecules. Just try to understand how, how, how this earth continues to rotate as it does on the axis as it does without burning up. We're exact distance from the sun and not too far away and not too close that we're not burning up or freezing away. I mean, just, just try to wrap your mind around all that stuff. No, how about God is bigger? God is greater. God knows what he's doing. And I may not be able to give you a scientific explanation. Which don't even get me started on science today. We don't even know. We, we want science to be whatever we want it to be. And this is how we end up on these tangents. This is how we, because when you open one door, then there's so many other doors after that that have to be opened. Now, how about a people that live by faith, that just believe God at his word? And that just believe that the truth of his word cannot be compromised, cannot be diminished, cannot be devalued. Amen? They suppress the truth. He says they are without excuse. Verse 21 says, for though they knew God. Again, this is not talking about the world. This is talking about those that were in the church but opened themselves up to deception. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and and their senseless hearts were darkened. Skip on down to verse 25. Look what it says here. They exchanged. An exchange took place. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshiped and served what has been created instead of the creator who is praised forever. Amen. What he identifies there in the last verse is it's about what you value. It's about what you value. I said this several weeks ago, and it's just kind of stuck with me. But when we don't value our devotion our relationship with God, with the Heavenly Father, with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. When devotion is low, deception is high. He's talking about value. They began to worship the created things. They began to worship the planet. They began to worship creation. They began to worship what was around them rather than keeping their eyes fixed on the Creator. God of the universe. And this is where we begin to get our eyes off of the truth of the word. We begin to compromise the truth of the word. I want to give you three things today that that challenge truth. Three things that challenge truth. There's all sorts of things that will challenge the truth of the word of God in our lives. But these are three things that I hope we can run with today that can help us understand the things that try to rise up and disrupt the truth of the Word of God in our lives. Number one is exposure. Exposure. What we have to recognize is living in the world that we live in. More and more we are seeing the depravity We're seeing the diminishing of values. We're seeing a a world that 
is consistently countercultural to everything you read in the word. And what happens is, is if we become affected by the exposure of the world that we are around, being in the world but not of it, there becomes a bending of truth. There becomes a waning of values. There becomes a diminishing of the value of what God's word holds to be true. We've seen this time and time again. And history has proven to us, history has proven to us that we will alter truth so that it can be more easily received. We've done it time and time again. Now, not always in poor motive, not always with wrong intentions. We wanted it to be easily received. We wanted people to be able to comprehend it. We wanted different cultures, different nations. And in, in America, we saw this take place. Historically speaking, it's been about 75 years now that we, we've seen this waning of, of what we now call the American gospel. The reducing of the gospel to Jesus, that you're a sinner, separated from God. Jesus came, died on a cross for your sins, so that when you die, you can go to heaven and be with him. And that is, is the, the basic premise of the gospel that we preach in the United States of America today. And it's open doors. For, I heard someone say the other day, the grace message has done more damage to the kingdom of God than the devil ever could. <laughs> the doors that get open because we deteriorate truth because we don't believe people can handle it in its full capacity. Now again, I'm all about finding ways to minister to people and to reach people and to address people, but never at the expense of truth. Never at the, I can change the method, but I cannot alter the message. We do not have the right to alter the message and pull things out or even add things in that are not scriptural. And why is this so deceptive? Because the word of God, people will find scripture to back up whatever premise they want to come to. They have scripture for it. They have scripture for it doesn't matter what you do on this earth. If you ask Jesus to come into your heart, you're going to heaven no matter what. And, and how you live after that, that it's not about works. And they'll pull out all the not about works scriptures. Like we just get to freely sin as much as we want because there's grace and it's going to cover it up. That's a real message being preached in the United States of America, at least in this country, probably other countries too. How do we get there? Because we don't believe that, there, we, that there, there's a, a sector of people, a group of people that cannot handle the truth that your life goes directly against the word of God. This has to be laid down so we can take up the cause of the king. But Jesus' messages, you go back and read the gospels. And again, this, is, this happens when we aren't readers and studiers of the word. This happens when we don't submit ourselves to the truth, the, the, the spirit of truth. I tell you what, that's probably the biggest cause of all this is we don't submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit of God. 
because he's the spirit of truth. In fact, I can't even rightly value, understand, comprehend, or receive the word without the Holy Spirit. But there's many that have attempted to. And they come up with conclusions that are not scriptural. They come up with belief systems that cannot be truly backed up by the word of God. They're not even submitted to the Holy Spirit. I told someone that the other day we were in a conversation. I just told him, I said, you're not even submitted to the Holy Spirit. This, we can't even have a conversation. If you're not going to submit to the spirit of truth and you're going to use your own natural intellect to try to reduce uh, what you believe the word of God says, then, then you can't even come to the proper conclusions. It's these types of things that have allowed us that, that the exposure of the world has influenced us greater than we are having on it. And I'm telling you, if we don't have a backbone about certain things that are happening in society, we're going to find ourselves casualties to lies and deception. Because I, it's funny how every time a, a believer stands up and is bold about a position in the word, we get challenged as judgmental. We get challenged as, uh, you know, not loving, not accepting. I don't believe God would do that. But have you noticed how bold they are? Have you noticed how in your face they are about what they believe? So I'm telling you, we are going to have to get to a place where we rise up in response with a boldness that matches theirs. The cowardly church is not going to bring back the king. He's not coming back as a suffering servant. He's coming back as a reigning king on a horse ready to judge the earth. We've got to understand that, that, that yes, Jesus is loving. Yes, Jesus is gracious. Yes, Jesus is patient. Yes, Jesus is long-suffering. Yes, the Father uh, uh, will give you opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. But what we've done is we've taken every opportunity of mercy and every opportunity of grace, and we just take it as his overlooking. But God has never changed his view or position on sin. And the exposure of culture is creeping into the church, and it's changing what we preach. For a lot of believers, it's altering what we believe. There are Christians that literally practice abominations mentioned in Scripture, and they attend church. Some of them pastor churches. Yes, that's where we've lost uh, just an absolute fear of God. We've lost an absolute fear of God in the church. And I'm saying it as, as, as gracious and, and, and as, as, as softly as I can. We're going to have to bring back a fear of the Lord in the church. Because the exposure to culture wants you to devalue your honor for God. That's what they want to do. So this exposure, the Israelites dealt with this when they entered the promised land. And they, be, can't, they began, I could go through the whole step, but it, it begins with just acceptance. Allowing things to take place that should not take place. 
they were allowing other nations to keep their idols. They were allowing the inhabitants of now their land to continue to worship their gods, to do things that went directly against when God sent them in there to convert that culture and convert those nations into a godly nation. I was watching a video the other day talking about how, you know, America is not uh, a, a Christian nation. Now, when people say the United States of America is a Christian nation, in essence, what they're saying is that this nation, number one, is founded on Christian principles, that our Constitution was derived from the Bible itself. A lot of what is in the Constitution, a lot of what we uh, support and believe and the rights and the benefits and the privileges and, 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 and the things that we recognize and, uh, to, to, to be good and the things that we recognize to be bad ultimately were derived from the Word of God. Secondly, we're a Christian nation because we freely can worship God in this country unlike many other countries. I mean, what we're doing today, many churches can't do. It's also uh, an overwhelming majority of the country. And lastly, I would say this, that America is responsible for much of the gospel going around the world. In missions, technology, literature, what we print, what we record, what we, what we uh, uh, present to the world, the missionaries that we're sending, the missionaries that we're sending. If, if America were to go under, missions work around the world would go under. I mean, there's not very many missionaries for other countries that are coming to the United States, but we've got a bunch of missionaries coming out of the United States and going into other countries. Now, with that being said, are we a Christian nation in essence of our values, in essence of what we honor, and in essence of what we respect? We're obviously seeing a diminishing, uh, a, 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 a deterioration take place there. The only Christian nation, by the way, is God's nation, is the church, the royal priesthood, a holy nation. That's the only Christian nation there is. Even in, in the, 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 the best that we can do here in this country, we're seeing values being destroyed. So you and I are even in America to uphold the values of the king. Even in this country, you and I have to stand our ground for truth. Even in this country, you and I are going to have to get a spine and we're going to have to stand up for what we know the Word of God says and not in an allowance and, and, and an accepting because that's where it starts. Whether you agree with it or not, the allowing and the lack of speaking up and the lack of addressing will hurt us. And that's what the Israelites did. But before you know it, they're getting overrun by their enemies who they were sent in to destroy, sent in to eliminate, or sent in to help align with the things of God. So this exposure. Truth doesn't bow to culture. Truth doesn't bow to the changes of acceptance and tolerance. Secondly, number two is experience experience. I've seen people that will believe a truth until it's challenged. They'll believe a truth until someone 
offers an alternative. They'll believe a truth as long as it's the only thing. But then when something else is introduced, another thought process is introduced, another idea, another opinion, they're easily swayed. This is not the, the, the position or the stance of the believer, of the church. If we're a pillar in support of truth, pillars and supports don't waver. That's not a very good pillar. It's not a very good support if it's wavering. One day believes one thing and, well, you know, maybe that could be true too. No, we are supposed to be fixed, immovable. And our experiences don't alter truth. What you go through, what you experience, what you're believing for, what you're standing for, what, what you have seen God do in your life, it does not alter. I, we have entire denominations. We have entire belief systems that have been built upon people's experiences. I've had conversations with people about truths in the word of God, and they can't give me one scripture back, but they can tell me about their grandma. They can tell me about what happened this time. They can tell me what, what, what they felt God was leading them to do in this moment. Well, that's not truth. That's not truth. I'll tell you, experience is valuable, but it should not be prioritized. Experience can be valuable. I've had poor experiences. I've had experiences where things didn't turn out the way I was believing, the way that I, that, that, but I never, I will never get in this pulpit and preach to you. If I don't understand why something happened or why it took place that way, then I'm not talking about it until I get clarity on it. But I'm not going to get in this pulpit and tell you about a situation my wife and I had, and, and, and it just didn't work out. And, and, and so, you know, my, my viewpoint on this, no, I'm going to get my mind on it. I'm going to say, God, I need to know why. I need to get answers. I need to, I need to get some clarity on this thing. But at the end of the day, I know what your word says. Amen. We need a people, we need a church today that is not offering up and submitting God's word and God's truth to their experiences. You're going to, I mean, this is life. This is life. You're going to have poor experiences. I mean, we just read about them. Jesus just told us, you're going to have trials, you're going to have tribulations, nations rising against nations, uh, you know, fathers betraying sons and daughters betraying mothers and, and, and the whole bit. You're, you're going you're gonna to see some things that aren't going to align with this blessed assurance life that a lot of times we project and preach. But at the end of the day, it's his truth that stands. It's his truth that remains. We, don't, we cannot be a people that only believe a truth until it's challenged. The third thing I want to give you. We've got exposure. We've got experience. And number three is expectation. Expectation. Expectation for a believer is very important. The Bible says that the just shall live by faith. Faith is an expectation. Faith is a belief of what will happen. Regardless of of what it looks like, regardless of what it feels like, regardless of what it sounds like. But a lot of times I've seen believers get caught up in their expectation of what 
truth is and what the truth of the word of God will present. And they create a box or a formula within which God must now work. Lazarus is a, uh, the story of Lazarus is a very uh, perfect look at this. Because his sisters reached out to Jesus while he was still alive and said, we believe if you'll get here, you lay hands on him, you'll heal him. I believe that, we believe that he'll be healed. Well, what does Jesus do? He waits around, right? How, how would you like truth to wait around? Sit around, it's like, okay, gotcha. And maybe you didn't get the urgency in the letter, urgency in the messenger, uh, but he's near death. We need you here. And he waits. He's now been dead four days, and he finally arrives at the house. And Martha says it. She says, Lord, had you been here? And so what happens then is our expectation or our faith. Now, I'm believing in what God will do, but I'm not going to tell him how to do it. And I've seen people bend truth because he didn't do it how. Well, guess what? If God's doing it how you want him to do it, he's no longer God, you are. I, I leave it up to God. I know what your word says. I know what I'm believing. I know what we're going to, I know what the end result is going to be. But I'm not about to tell you how to do it. I'm not about to be uh, Naaman. Remember Naaman? And he sent the messenger to the house. Well, I thought the prophet would come, and I thought he would wave his hand over me, and I would just be healed of all this leprosy. Instead, he's telling me to go dunk seven times in the nasty Jordan. Why, why can't I use one of my rivers? I got nicer rivers than that. Come on. We do that to God all the time, don't we? We want God to use our river, and he's saying, this is where I need you to go. And now I start bending truth. We don't all of a sudden believe with the same conviction that we believed before because he didn't align with my expectation. These things are dangerous, and it's deceptive by nature because it, it, it feels like we're, we're just trying, we're, we're trying to honor God's word. But at the end of the day, we're taking God's word and we're wrapping it around what we want it to be rather than wrapping ourselves around it. God's word is immovable. God's word is unshakable. I want to take you back to these verses, and I want to show you a few answers here that I help. That I, that I believe will help us avoid these three challenges. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, I'll take you back there. Aren't y'all thankful for the Word of God? I'm just thankful for the Word. And, and, and many of you, you know this about us. We're a word-first church. I'm not going to give you my experiences. I'm not going to give you what I grew up hearing. I'm going to give you the word of God. There's things that I've grown up believing. I, I, we, we had someone recently, um, you know, come to us and, and, and say, you know, we heard you, you're in this circle or this camp. And we, we looked up some of that stuff online, and, and, you know, I just don't know if we believe all that. I said, well, the first, 
what first place you went wrong was going on the internet. I mean, if I want to learn about you, I'm not going to go to Facebook. If I want to learn about you, I'm not going to go to your friends. I'm going to go to you. Should have come to us. There's all kinds. I mean, I mean, I know most of what's on the internet is true, but not all of it's true. Being facetious. We know the internet is not a reliable source of information, right? We know that. Yep, this is yes, this is no, okay? It is not a reliable source of information. It's not going to help you out. But there's things I've had to challenge in my life. There's things that I I just believe because that's what I've always heard. And I've had to sit down and I'm not saying it was always wrong, but I had to sit down and learn from myself. Is that what the word says? Is that how that should be applied? Amen. That's called being a study of the word. That's called not just sitting in a pew or in a seat and just, you know, being bottle fed and just taking in whatever I can. No, I've got to be a studier of the word. Second Timothy chapter three, verse 14. This is his admonishment to Timothy. But you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true. For you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. They have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, after he says that they will reject truth and chase after myths, in verse 5 he says, but you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Lord, work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. In Matthew chapter 24, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 12 said, sin will be rampant everywhere. The love of many will will grow cold. But verse 13 says, the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now look at verse 14. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it, and then the end will come. He's telling us that preaching the same message at the end that we were preaching at the beginning is what will get us through. He who endures, not the one that changes on every whim, not the one that follows every tangent that culture shows them or appeals to them, not the one that bends to every, uh, 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 you know, person that can't receive the word or is too hard-hearted or, or too embittered or too broken. It, it, no, it's staying with the word. That's one thing I value about my legacy and about my heritage uh, from Rama is we, we were taught, stay with the word. There's been many dispensations. There's been much hype. There's been revivals. There's been moves of the Spirit. But at the end of the day, you must stay with the Word. 
I'm not chasing a feeling. I'm not chasing a moment. I'm not chasing a movement. I'm not chasing a song. I'm not chasing, uh, you know, some kind of uh, great theatrical response, fanatical sensationalism. I'm staying with the word. I'm thankful for the times when God moved in my life. I'm thankful for the days where he's marked me. I'm thankful for the revivals and the services I've been to. But I must stay with the word. The gospel of the kingdom will be preached, and then the end will come. It doesn't say a revival will bring it. doesn't say a movement will bring it. doesn't say a, a great awakening will bring it. It doesn't say miracles, signs, and wonders. It says the gospel of the kingdom will be preached, and then the end will come. Let me give you a couple other passages. We'll wrap this up. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Got to stay with the word. Got to stay with the word. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. For my part, brothers and sisters, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as babies in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, since you were not ready for it. In fact, you are still not ready. In the New King James, it reads, you ought to be. I ought to be able to give you the meat of the word, I can only give you the milk of the word. What's that? It reveals an expectation that we are supposed to grow in the things of the word. We're supposed to remain in the things of the word. Hebrews chapter 5 reiterates this. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 11. We have a great deal to say about this, and it is difficult to explain since you have become too lazy to understand. That's not the Mark Brady version. That's what it says. I like it, but I didn't write it. The New King James reads, you have become dull of hearing. Worship team, if you come. You've become dull of hearing. He goes on to say, by this time, you ought to be teachers. But you need someone to teach you the basic principles. It tells us that if we're not growing in the word, We've got to remain in the basic principles until we do. We've got to remain consistent with what are those elementary principles. Where do we start at? What are the basic understandings of the word? What are those basic truths? Because if I don't establish the basic truths from the beginning, then it's going to cause a domino effect where I'm going to compromise truth all the way down. You got to stay with the word, value the word. He says, You need milk, not solid food. Everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. Guys, it's a time to stand for truth. It's a time that we back the word of God by getting in the word of God and getting the word of God in us. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family, 
You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.